How many of you have a favorite Bible book? Raise your hand if you have a favorite Bible book. All right. If you have a favorite Bible book, I want you to turn to it right now, okay? Turn to it. Turn to the, the title page of that book. So in other words, when you look down at your Bible, you are looking at the name of the book, all righty? I'm going to ask you in just a minute all at once to tell me what your favorite Bible book is, and so you can turn there. Mine, incidentally, is the book of John. The book of John is my favorite book of the Bible. So you're there, I guess, and so on the count of three, I'm going to ask you to look down at the name of your favorite book and say it out loud to me on the count of three. Ready? One, two, three. Very good. Okay. Let me tell you what I didn't hear. I did, now, maybe you said it, but I doubt it. I didn't hear anybody say Leviticus. Did anybody say Leviticus and I didn't hear it? Okay. I did, I, and I don't think I've ever heard anybody say, well, my favorite book is the book of Leviticus. And um, why is that? Because the book of Leviticus can be tedious reading. You say, oh, pastor, you, you shouldn't say that. I'm just saying what you're thinking if you've read the book of Leviticus. And so the book of Leviticus and also First Chronicles where it's so-and-so begot so-and-so begot so-and-so, it can also be some tedious reading. Now, what is the book of Leviticus? Why would God put a book in the Bible that is difficult to read? The book of Leviticus means the book of the Levites. Who were the Levites? If you ever take, if you read the list of the sons of Jacob, and then you read a list of the tribes of Israel. First of all, there were 12 sons of Jacob, and there were 12 tribes of Israel. If you put those two lists of 12 side by side, you will see that the names are the same because there are 12 tribes named after the 12 sons, except two exceptions. The first exception is Levi. Levi was a son of Jacob, but there's no tribe of Levi. Well, that's not fair. Why'd he get left out? And then, wait a second, if there are 12 sons of Jacob, and they all have a tribe named after them, and one of them is not Jacob, I'm sorry, is not Levi. Where's the 12th tribe come from? Well, there's another name missing if you compare those two lists, and that's the name of Joseph. There's no tribe of Joseph. God gave Joseph a double portion. Joseph had two sons. Their names were Ephraim and Manasseh. And so there's no tribe of Levi, there's no tribe of Levi, there's no tribe of Joseph. Instead, the 11th and 12th tribes, if you want to put it that way, see it that way, are the sons of Joseph, Ephraim, and Manasseh. So, we understand why Joseph isn't in there, God gave him a double portion. Why isn't Levi in there? That's not fair. Because God took the tribe of Levi to be his servants. The Levites were the the ministers of the Old Testament. If you want to call them pastors, if you want to call them priests, whatever, in fact, they part of them was the Old Testament definition of a priest. There's no such thing as a priest in the church age. That would be Jesus Christ. He is our priest. But 
In the Old Testament, they had priests, one who performed the sacrifices that represented the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. I'm getting a little too deep now, but I want you to understand that the Levites were the servants of the Lord. They didn't inherit any land. Do you know why? The Lord was their inheritance. And in case you would say, well, I would rather have some land, you wouldn't have qualified to be of the tribe of Levi. God said, these are my servants. Now, by birth you would have been, but I'm saying that was not the attitude that they should have had. The attitude they should have had was we are honored for the Lord to be our inheritance. All the other tribes, the 12 tribes, were required to make a place for the people who were of the tribe of Levi because they belonged to the Lord, and the Lord was their inheritance, and it was their job. For example, when they traveled through the wilderness, it was their job to set up the tabernacle and take it down and transport it. It was their job to perform the sacrifices. It was their job when the temple was built to take care of the temple. That was the job of the Levites. And Leviticus is a book of instructions to the Levites. And that's why when you're reading through your Bible and you start off in Genesis and you go, man, this is great stuff. This is awesome. And you go through Exodus and say, man, this is so cool. Then you get towards the end of Exodus and you go, okay, this is getting a little little tough plowing here. Then you get to Leviticus, and if reading through your Bible was your New Year's resolution, that's where you break it when you get to Leviticus, because Leviticus is tough plowing. You read, and you man, I'm looking for a blessing from the Lord in here, and I'm just not getting it reading about all these animal sacrifices and stuff. So let me give you something the next time you read through the book of Leviticus, something to watch for. Anytime you have difficult reading, the way to get through it is to have something that you're watching for. And so the next time you read through the book of Leviticus, let me give you some phrases to watch for. The first one is the phrase, unto the Lord. The phrase, unto the Lord, is found 82 times in the book of Leviticus, far more than any other book of the Bible, unto the Lord. The second phrase is the one that we're going to look at this morning, and that is the phrase, before the Lord. Now, we could use these interchangeably. The purpose would be the same. The meaning would be the same. But, but I want to focus just on this one phrase, before the Lord. Before the Lord, just like unto the Lord, is used more times in Leviticus than in any other book of the Bible. In fact, the second place book, is the book of Numbers, which is also largely a book of instructions. But 62 times in the book of Leviticus, the instructions to the Levites, 62 times it says, before the Lord. Before the Lord. Say that phrase with me. Ready? Before the Lord. Say one, Wake up and say it this time. Ready? One, two, three. Before the Lord. Very good. Why does this book of procedures and instructions and details repeat the phrase before the Lord 62 times? The answer is that God wanted his servants to know that everything they did was before the Lord. He said, well, Why not just put that at the beginning? Now, all these instructions and procedures you're about to read, make sure they're done before the Lord and unto the Lord. 
Because God wanted with every individual procedure to remind his servants this is to be done before the Lord. There's a difference between setting up the tabernacle and setting up the tabernacle before the Lord. Those of you that were at the gym this morning setting up tables and chairs, there's a difference between setting up tables and chairs and setting up tables and chairs before the Lord. There's a difference for all of you that cooked this week to serve food this afternoon. There's a difference between cooking food and cooking food before the Lord. There's a difference between vacuuming the floor and vacuuming the floor before the Lord. Shall I go through every duty that anyone performs? There's a difference between the choir practicing and the choir practicing before the Lord. What is that difference? It's in your heart. See, it's not that sometimes God sees you and sometimes he doesn't. It's that sometimes you are aware that your work is before the Lord, unto the Lord. This is for you. And sometimes we're not. And the difference is in our hearts. And God wanted to make sure that every time one of the Levites consulted the instruction manual, that it was right there in black and white. This is before the Lord. You're not just killing an animal. And we can't take the time this morning to talk about, well, what were they doing killing animals, and how come we don't do that anymore? The Let's just summarize it by saying it has to do with the cross of Jesus Christ. If you think it was horrible for them to bring animal sacrifices to the Lord, it was. That's just how horrible our sin is to require such a thing. But it was a picture of the ultimate sacrifice that would come. That was Jesus Christ. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And when Jesus died on the cross... The animal sacrifices ceased immediately because they all pointed to what Jesus would do when he died on the cross. All right, so there's your answer to what are they doing killing all these nice animals and how come we don't have to do it? That's your answer right there. Let's get back to the point. When it came time to offer an animal sacrifice and a priest said, you know what, I haven't done one of those in a while. Let's go to the instruction manual. And he looked in the book of Leviticus from that God had given to Moses And he read, and his inwards and legs shall he wash with water, and the priest shall burn all on the altar to be a burnt sacrifice, an offering made by fire, a sweet savor, oh yeah, unto the Lord, unto the Lord. Or he went to the instruction manual, and he read, uh, an offering, it is a burnt sacrifice, an offering made by fire of a sweet savor, oh yeah, unto the Lord, unto the Lord, before the Lord, unto the Lord. Before the Lord. Between the, be just those two phrases. There are many other phrases, but just those two phrases. 62 times plus 82 times. Which is, I can't do it either. It's somewhere in the hundreds. It's 144. Before the Lord. Unto the Lord. Before the Lord. 
unto the Lord. You know, we should probably have that in our church procedures. When the church takes a vote, they shall vote before the Lord. When the bus workers go out and make their visits, they make their visits before the Lord. We give out some, we have a meeting every January to train Sunday school workers, anybody that works with kids especially, in how to do that. And maybe that manual needs to say in it that you need to make sure that you prepare your lesson before the Lord. You need to make sure that your kids are loved and prayed for before the Lord. Everything we do, folks, for Jesus Christ, we do before the Lord. And God was saying to the Levites, make sure that every move you make, that not a single move you make in the tabernacle becomes routine. Make sure it doesn't become ritual. Make sure it just doesn't become a habit. Make sure that every time you bring your heart and you do this thing before the Lord. A few thoughts and we'll finish. First of all, before the Lord turns the tedious into the glorious. If you're going to do the work of the Lord, there are a lot of tedious jobs. There are a lot of jobs that you do that nobody sees, where you can be there doing this task and saying, nobody's ever going to know that I did this. I am never going to get credit for this. I am never going to get thanked for this. Be reminded that you do that thing before the Lord. Before the Lord turns the tedious into the glorious. Before the Lord keeps the standard High. Do you know what the Bible standard for his service is? It's the word excellence. Excellence. There should be excellence in everything that any, every one of us does for the Lord. And the way to keep our eyes on that standard of excellence is to be sure that every time we do it, we do it before the Lord. Before the Lord keeps the standard high. As soon as our church is dominated by workers who are just going through the motions, we are at death's door. We have got to be a church filled with people that when we serve the Sunday dinner, we do so before the Lord. That when we teach our Sunday school classes, we do so before the Lord. That when we visit the people that ride the buses, that we do so before the Lord. Bible, the Bible standard for serving the Lord is excellence. And that phrase, before the Lord, keeps us focused on the standard of excellence. John Wooden is one of the greatest basketball coaches in college basketball history. He coached the UCLA Bruins to multiple championships, and they, they hold multiple records, many of which will never be broken. But he was very big on discipline and excellence, those kind of concepts. One day he decided to see how one of his teams, and of course a basketball team turns over at least every four years. So one of his teams, he wanted to see how they would practice without him and so practice time came and they said well it's practice time coach Wooden's not here and so they were goofing around and throwing the ball back and forth sloppily and playing sloppily and and just all things that he would be upset if he ever saw them doing a game he went into the gymnasium and walked across the catwalk 
and look down at them, watch them practice. And they're playing, you know, just sloppy passes and hot dogging it and all that kind of nonsense And until somebody glanced up and they saw a coach up in the catwalk. And they're going up and down the court, and somebody whispers, hey, coaches, coaches in the catwalk. Don't look up. Coaches in the catwalk. And he, one at a time, they would glance up there and say, uh-oh. And all of a sudden, their passes got sharper. And all of a sudden, there, was no, there were no showboat plays anymore. All of a sudden, they were playing with the discipline that he had trained them to play with. When we realize that this is before the Lord, our service is before the Lord. We are singing before the Lord. We are serving before the Lord. It changes and it helps us to live and serve to the standard of excellence. Also, before the Lord keeps our eyes off of the negative there are always going to be things to complain about in serving the Lord. Nobody wants to help me. There's not enough money. It's not working like I thought it would work. There's always going to be negatives. But when you focus on before the Lord, you'll see the great opportunity and privilege and responsibility that you have and not all the negatives. Before the Lord keeps the joy in your service. The Apostle Paul said, rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice, and he said that in jail. He was in jail for preaching the gospel, and yet he wrote to the church at Philippi, rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. When what you do is before the Lord, it keeps the joy in your service. Before the Lord helps us endure the challenges. If you're going to move forward for God, there's going to be one challenge after another. Nothing in life comes easy, but it's especially challenging when you're doing the Lord's work. Why? Because you have spiritual opposition. Satan and his forces are not trying to stop the millionaire from making more millions. So whatever he challenges he has, they are not spiritual challenges. Unless, by the way, the millionaire is making millions to give to missions, then he will face spiritual opposition. But as long as all he's trying to do is build stuff and make his millions, he won't face spiritual opposition. But you let a man in simplicity go out to pass out tracts in that simple effort that will never result in millions in his pocket, he will face spiritual opposition. But before the Lord helps you endure the challenges to get to victory. Before the Lord keeps our service to the Lord tied to our love for him. When the task gets difficult, when you ask yourself, well, why am I doing this again? <laughs> why is it my, my neighbor is laying home on a couch watching a ball game and, and I'm getting dirty for, for no pay? Before the Lord. Oh, yeah. It's because I love him. Because he loves me and I love him before the Lord. Before the Lord reminds us that serving the Lord is eternal work. Eternal work. What you will do this afternoon is eternal work. This is not just a dinner that lasts for an hour and the cleanup another hour after that. This is not just putting in your time or community service or feel-good work. This is eternal work that we're doing. Someday, 10,000 years from now, imagine a person walking up to you and saying, you know the, the day that I received eternal life? 
it was November 24, 2019. And it was one of those dinners that your church used to put on. And you handed me a plate of food. You shook my hand when I walked in the door. You looked me in the eye and made me feel loved and welcomed. And that was the day when I heard the gospel message that I received Jesus Christ. And now I've been here in heaven for 10,000 years. And I just want to say thank you. Before the Lord reminds us that this is eternal work that we're doing, I'll close with this reminder. Matthew 25, if I understand what's going on there, it's talking about the judgment of the nations. And what that is, if I understand it properly, is at the close of the tribulation period, people will be judged based upon how they treated Israel during the tribulation period. And at what they call the judgment of the nations, there is a scene, a very well-known scene, where people stand before Jesus and he condemns them. They fail in judgment. And they say, why? And he says, because when I was hungry, you didn't feed me. When I was cold, you didn't clothe me. When I was sick and in prison, you didn't visit me. And they will say, when did we see you cold and sick and hungry? And he said, because you didn't do it unto one of the least of these, my brethren. You didn't do it to me. And then he looks at the people who are congratulated in judgment. And he says the exact opposite. He said, enter in. You have succeeded. He says, and they say, why? On what basis? What did we do to earn your congratulations and your favor. And he said, because when I was sick, you visited me. When I was cold, you clothed me. When I was hungry, you fed me. And they will say, well, I don't ever remember. I don't even remember seeing you, let alone seeing you hungry and cold and sick. And he says, and you did it unto one of the least of these, my brethren. You have done it unto me. I think there's absolutely something to be taken from that scenario that Jesus presents to us because if that applies to the hungry and the cold and the needy during the tribulation that same principle I believe with all my heart applies now you will see someone today and you'll look into their eyes and you will show them love and compassion you will learn their name You will care about them. You will be the only person, perhaps this whole month, some people, maybe their whole lifetime, the only person that showed them personal attention. And hear Jesus saying, in that you have done it unto the the least of these, my brethren, you have done it unto me. Let's serve him before the Lord.